Good evening, my darlings, and welcome to Marley's Ghosts. It's time for a dreadtime story. Now get yourselves all tucked in. Ready? Good. Let's begin. Tonight's story is The Thing in the Forest by Bernard Capes. Into the snow-locked forests of Upper Hungary steal wolves in winter, but there is a footfall worse than theirs to knock upon the heart of the lonely traveler. One December evening, Elspeth, the young, newly-wedded wife of the woodman, Stefan, came hurrying over the slopes of the White Mountains from the town where she had been all day marketing. She carried a basket with provisions on her arm. Her plump cheeks were like a couple of cold apples. Her breath spoke short, but more from nervousness than exhaustion. It was nearing dusk, and she was glad to see the little lonely church in the hollow below, the hub, as it were, of many radiating paths through the trees, one of which was the road to her own warm cottage yet half a mile away. She paused a moment at the foot of the slope, undecided about entering the little, chill, silent building, and making her plea for protection to the great battered stone image of Our Lady of Succor, which stood within the confessional box. But the stillness and the growing darkness decided her, and she went on. A spark of fire glowing through the presbytery window seemed to repel rather than attract her, and she was glad when the convolutions of the path hid it from her sight. Being new to the district, she had seen very little of Father Rule as yet, and somehow the penetrating knowledge and burning eyes of the pastor made her feel uncomfortable. The soft drift, the lane of tall, motionless pines, stretched on in a quiet like death. Somewhere the sun, like a dead fire, had fallen into opalescent embers, faintly luminous. Light crunch in the snow of the girl's own footfalls trod on her heart like a desecration. Suddenly, there was something near her that had not been before. It had come like a shadow, without more sound or warning. It was here. There. Behind her. She turned in mortal panic and saw a wolf. With a strangled cry and trembling limbs, she strove to hurry on her way. As she knew, though there were no whispers of pursuit, that the gliding shadow followed in her wake. Desperate in her terror, she stopped once more and faced it. A wolf! Was it a wolf? Oh, who could doubt it? Yet the wild expression in those famished eyes, so lost, so pitiful, so mingled of insatiable hunger and human need, condemned for its unspeakable sins to make this form with sunset and so howl and snuffle about the doors of men until the blessed day released it. A werewolf? Not a wolf. That terrific realization of truth smote the girl as the knife of darkness. For an instant she came near fainting, and then a low moan broke into her heart and flooded it with pity. So lost, so infinitely hopeless, and so pitiful. Yes, in spite of all, so pitiful. It had sinned beyond any sinning that her innocence knew or experience could gauge. But she was a woman, very blessed, very happy, in her store of comforts and her surety of love. She knew that it was forbidden to succor those damned and nameless outcasts 
to help or sympathize with them in any way, but there was a good store of meat in her basket, and who need ever know or tell? With shaking hands, she found and threw a sop to the desolate brute, then turning, sped upon her way. But at home, her secret sin stood up before her, and interposing between her husband and herself, threw its shadow upon both their faces. What had she dared? What done? But her own act forfeited her birthright of innocence, by her own act placed herself in the power of the evil to which she had ministered. All that night she lay in shame and horror, and all the next day, until Stephen had come about his dinner and gone again, she moved in dumb agony. Then, driven unendurably by the memory of his troubled, bewildered face, a twilight threatened she put upon her cloak and went down to the little church in the hollow to confess her sin. Mother, forgive me and save me, she whispered as she passed the statue. After ringing the bell for the confessor, she had not knelt long at the confessional box in the dim chapel, cold and empty as a waiting vault, when the chancel rail clicked and the footsteps of Father Rule were heard rustling over the stones. He came, he took his seat behind the grating, and with many sighs and falterings, Elspeth avowed her guilt. And, as with bowed head she ended, a strange sound answered her. It was like a little laugh, and yet not so much like a laugh as a snarl. With a shock, as of death, she raised her face. It was Father Rule who sat there, and yet it was not Father Rule. In that time of twilight, his face was already changing, narrowing, becoming wolfish, the eyes rounded and the jaw slavered. She gasped and shrunk back, and at that, barking and snapping at the grating, with a wicked look he dropped, and she heard him coming. Sheer horror lent her wings. With a scream, she sprang to her feet and fled, her cloak caught in something. There was a wrench and a crash, and like a flood, oblivion overswept her. It was the old, deaf, and near-senile sacristan who found them lying there. The woman, unhurt but insensible. The priest, crushed out of life by the fall of the ancient statue, long tottering to its collapse. She recovered for her part. For his, no one knows where he lies buried. But there were dark stories of a baying pack that night, and of an empty, blood-stained pavement when they came to seek it for the body. The end. Thank you for listening to Marley's Ghosts with me, your ghostess, Deborah Marley. You can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Marley's Ghosts or send me an email at Marley's Ghosts Podcast at gmail.com. I love hearing from you. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, please visit my Patreon, where we have lots of tiers to choose from, each with their own special treats. Also, rate and review so our community of Dreadtime listeners can grow. Until next time, my darlings, 
sleep well.